Welcome to Set Free 24-7. My name is Robert, and I am so happy to have you along on this journey through the message today. Today, we're going to be unmasking some religious pretense here. In Matthew, Jesus doesn't hold back. He confronts hypocrisy with a dash of humor, warning about the dangers of religious pretense. Then we're going to move on to Acts chapter 5. This takes us on a wild ride as the apostles unleash miracles in bold faith, stunning the religious leaders. Find out why they got a bit jealous of these miracles. It's a divine show that you won't want to miss. And then we jump in the Wayback Machine over to Psalm chapter 54. This is a heartfelt plea for divine help with a dash of poetic beauty. It's like sending God a 911 call, and you'll want to hear how God responds to this poetic cry for assistance. And then we end the day today in Numbers chapter 15 through 17. This is rebellion that sparks a divine showdown. It's like a wild, wild west showdown, but with a twist. Aaron's staff buds with almonds, so tune in to find out how God settles the rebellion and showcases his divine authority. This is all on today's journey through the message, so buckle up and let's get started. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. Hello, my wife. How are you? I am doing well. It's good to be back. It is great to be back. We had a few little hiccups. We did. Trying to get things started here today. And uh, we've taken a little time off. I was gone for like a week mm -hmm. at Maranatha Bible Camp. We can talk about that for yes, a little bit. But it went great. That went awesome. And then we had just a crazy week. I think I had a that, little surgery. You had surgery, so we had to take a little time off. So yep. let's update first. How mm -hmm. is your surgery going? Because, I mean, you had surgery on the roof of your mouth. I did. It was not a pleasant surgery, I will say that. But I can say now I'm very glad that I had it done. And I'm feeling really good now. The pain is all resolved. The sutures are gone, and I'm going to get just a double check on healing next Wednesday. But okay. I anticipate that all will be, well, it's nice to be able to be eating regular yes. food again. I so know. You went a little bit on a soup diet there. I did. It's like, you know, back way back machine to the baby food days, kind <laughs> of. That's uh, But I was glad to have it. Yeah. And, um, but I'm doing better. It Good. was interesting. I had to really practice my speech, and I still do. Um, I noticed because of the way the bone growth had really accelerated and some of it was pretty large in my mouth, it had affected my speech. But now with that taken out, I was thinking, I'm going to talk so good, my list will be gone. And rather than that happening, it was far more pronounced. So it's been, it's it's been interesting, you know, to relearn how to properly try to talk enunciate. And, right, and right. Um, it was really very difficult. Like I had to think about everything that I was saying and really work on because S's are still difficult for yeah. me, but it's, yeah. it's getting there. It's good. And that was like the same week that I was at Maranatha yes. Bible Camp and I yes. was there with uh, Crossroads Prison Ministries. Mm -hmm. We were the featured ministry that week. And I had the wonderful opportunity to just hang out with people from Maranatha the entire week, answer questions about Crossroads, the good work that we're doing in jail and prison ministry and sending in Bible mm. lessons and that sort of thing. And uh, we went in with this goal <laughs> to try and raise enough funds 
for a thousand students to be taken care of for the entire oh, year. Oh, that was a really bold goal. It was a huge goal. And we went into it thinking like, you know what, we're just going to shoot for the stars here and just give our best. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the week, what happened? Drum roll. We were able to raise enough funds to support over 1200 students and we still have i think a few funds coming in from people that were sending stuff so mm -hmm. it totally blew us away we um just had no idea that that was going to happen and it was so good to, to see the support to hear people ask questions that and the thing that surprised me the most and i want mm -hmm. to encourage people that may be listening to think about this one of the things that stood out to us as we were there is so many families came up to us and would pull us to the side just a little bit so that it was almost like a little private moment and they would say to us we just want to talk to you real quick because we have a son in jail we have a sister that's doing prison time we have a niece that's addicted to this that or the other and they're in and out of jail and many of them said to us, we can't share this information or we don't feel comfortable sharing this information with anybody from our church oh. family. And that just broke my heart I was gonna say my over heart. and over and over again. So what are we doing that makes talking about real life things like that? Like, you know, if you have a son or a daughter or somebody that's in addiction right now maybe going in and out of jail or prison mm -hmm. that's not anything that you specifically caused that's right. a choice that they're making right and we shouldn't have to bear the weight of the shame those of us that are here wanting to support them we shouldn't have to bear the weight of the shame of their decisions we should just be here as a supportive yes. encouraging we want to help you get your life back on track Back to where you're living this freedom. We because, want them restored. Because the drugs, the prison, the mm -hmm. jail, the all the other stuff, that robs you of your freedom. Yeah. So what are we doing as a church family that's making people uncomfortable to talk about those private moments there? Because this wasn't just one person. And I'll tell you, this wasn't just this right. event either. You shared I this go, with me. I go to events all the time where mm -hmm. we're talking to people in and uh and like these big, you know, where they have 300 vendors and we're just one of the vendors like right. trying to show people what we do. And we have people all the time come up and say the same thing. I'm always struck every time you come home from one of these events because you've always shared that comment that people have approached you saying we just can't talk about this with our church family and every time it's left me with a sense of the church has really failed its church members mm -hmm. and not being there to walk alongside and to support and love them as they're loving somebody that they care deeply about through yeah. some really tough times so I'm going to challenge you, if you know that somebody is dealing with one of these things, like whether it's addiction, incarceration, just some tough stuff, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to say, how's your kid doing? Yes. I want to pray for your child. Yes. How's How are you doing? I want to pray for you around this situation. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid. I'm just going to challenge people. Don't be afraid ask to step them. into that and ask. 
Yeah, if their child was very ill, you'd be asking all the time and showing love and care. They're suffering just as much over this child as somebody is over their sick child. And we should be pouring the same love and care and support into them during this process. And in doing that, what a beautiful example for that person that may be in prison or may be Mm -hmm. addicted, but they're seeing this support coming from a community that is just prepared to receive them. And that I think is something Jesus would give his approval on. So I'm going to go real quick into a, before we head into prayer, I'm going to go Mm -hmm. real quick into a shameless plug (laughs) for the Crossroads Run. Oh, yes. That's right. Crossroads Prison Ministries. We are doing a 2.5K, 5K, and 10K run. It's going to be on September 30th. 2023, out on the trails behind Ridgepoint Church in Holland, Michigan. It's a beautiful place. And the coolest thing I think about this whole course is at the end of that 2.5K loop, there is this large wooden statue of Jesus with his arms wide open, like welcoming you up this hill and like telling you can do this. I got you. Just come to me. Right. And so this is really a fundraiser to kind of get the word out about our ministry. And we're trying to introduce our ministry to a whole new segment of people that may not have normally ever even given us a second thought or, Mm -hmm. or just overlooked us. So it's uh, just sharing that story of crossroads. The cool thing too, if you're not in Michigan and you can't be there for that September 30th event, we have a virtual option. They can be involved. You can still be involved. We're going to give you, we're going to send you your shirt. You're going to send you your finisher medal. You can do your 5k, 10k from wherever you're at. Send us the pictures, send us the results. We'd love to post them and just show that little act of unity, Mm -hmm. no matter where you're at. So I'm going to put a link down in the comments for uh, the sign up on this run. And I'm even going to put a special discount code for anybody that's listening to this podcast a special discount code so that you can receive like 20% off. I mean, it's one of the, yeah, it's one of the best codes that we have. Doesn't like a sale. I know. And you'd still get the cool shirt and the medal. So anyway, whether you're a walker, runner, whatever, we would love to have Mm -hmm. your support on this event. So please check down in the comments for that link. I'm going to be shamelessly plugging it here over the next few weeks. love it. Because I am like the race director, kind of. So, you know, it's going to make sure that the word gets out. For sure. And yeah, join me. I'm going to participate. I'm a walker trotter of sorts. You were the first person to sign up for the race. Go figure that. Does that mean I get number one, zero, zero, one? I could, I could try for that. I I would love to do, I'm never going to be first place. I would love to at least have a bib that says number one. (laughs) I'll see if I can make that happen just for you, my wife. And I am so okay that I will never take first place unless I live to be 107. Then I bet. That's right. Age group. My age group. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into prayer here and then we'll get started in Matthew. So, Father God, thank you for laughter. Thank you for the ability to wake up, get up, start our day and talk about you. This is the best part of our day right here. Just inviting you into this space, inviting your presence, your spirit into this space to renew us, renew our spirits, Mm -hmm. renew our minds. 
and give us a fresh outlook and give us fresh eyes for people that are in front of us. There's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain out there. And just give us those eyes to see people that are going through that and just be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's it. We don't need to preach a sermon to them. We don't need to tell them what they may be doing wrong or how to do something right. Let's just have that heart to come alongside somebody, put our arm around with them and walk a little bit of their journey with them to let them know that they are supported and loved. Mm -hmm. So uh, bless this reading today. Bless the rest of our day and uh, just bless our conversation with whoever crosses our path. I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Heidi, you are starting out today in Matthew. This is, uh, I mean, this is from the title. Frauds. Ooh. All I'm going to say from skimming through this, I would never want Jesus saying this to me. Mm. So think about that when you listen, because I thought about that. Did I ever give Jesus Mm -hmm. the opportunity to say these things to me? Sure. And being honest, I'd have to say Yes. So I wonder if anybody else would answer yes to that. Here we go. Verse 13. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter and won't let anyone else in either. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert. But once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present, watching and holding you to account regardless. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics, they are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I know. I will be the first to admit that I used to live a life that Jesus would stand and say all of those things to me, Mm. all of it. And today there's still moments where he could say those things to me, but I'm so much more aware of it. And 
I love when the Bible shows the emotions of Jesus. Yeah. And I'm often struck by how in the world can a mere human body contain God? I've, I've been having that thought in my mind because of this sermon that I have to give. And it just strikes me. I can't even imagine a human body attempting to contain God. It's like God contained on this earth with these human emotions. So now he's got a holy frustration and irritation. And I, I'm just awed that Jesus shows us emotions used properly. We're allowed them. We're supposed to have them. We can be irritated, frustrated, hurt, sad, crying, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's included in the Bible so we can learn from it. But I think what we need to learn from this one is maybe some of all the little laws and the regulations can become less important in life. Less and of the focus. Love and compassion can grow. Mm. And I kind of think that's what Jesus was saying. You have lost the love. What good is all of this? Nobody's going to want any of it. And you're wrong. It just says at the end, writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish. And all you did was nitpick over the punctuation. Yeah. Oh, that's convicting. Yes. I know there was a, a little pause here from Eugene Peterson, and it was talking about the hypocrisy, which I found kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But this has to do with the entire chapter of, um, of Matthew 23. It says, I can find nothing worse to call a person than a hypocrite. Ooh. It's the supreme insult. Hypocrite, phony, fake, mm. fraud. Any of the bad names and vulgarities that are in common used to label a person as unlovely or undesirable or unacceptable are more tolerable than this one. Hypocrite. The reason that hypocrite is such an awful word is that it reveals a lie at the very core of one's being. Do you agree that hypocrite is the supreme insult, the most contemptible of conditions? And do you agree that you're surrounded by hypocrites, that the condition is epidemic? Then let me ask you to do something. For the next few minutes, refuse to think about anyone else except for yourself. Deny yourself the luxury of labeling others and examine your own life. Because the plain fact is, you are a hypocrite, and so am I. The most famous attack on hypocrisy was by Jesus. His most famous address on the subject is right here in Matthew 23. In this chapter, three things take place. First, Jesus describes the nature of hypocrisy. Then he thunders out seven woes on the hypocrites, citing various examples of their hypocrisy. Finally, he concludes his address compassionately with an invitation to repentance. I don't know of any easy way to break the hypocrite habit, but I do know one way. Take each example of hypocrisy that Jesus touched and become more interested in finding out whether his words are aimed at you personally and not anyone else. And that's the end of that pause there. You know, hypocrisy is 
the the wedge that the enemy used in my life mm. when I was 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. I remember being in church. I was going to church twice on Sunday, but I just remember feeling like everybody that I'm surrounded with here is a complete hypocrite. They're all doing, saying one thing, doing a complete other. And I was so uninterested in any mm-hmm. of that. But you were doing the same thing. I was thing. doing the same thing. Right. It just struck me. You're I sitting know. in there pretending just exactly. like them. You know, that was the wedge that I felt he used, the enemy used to uh, isolate me and made me feel like, you know, I'm not worthy to give profession of faith. You know, I don't really believe all this and I don't want to be like those people who say they believe that and they're doing something else. I don't want to be associated with them. So I'm just not going to. So in the process, we look just like that. Exactly. I I know. So looking back on it now, I'm like. You know, how did I allow the Mm. devil to trick me like that? I mean, it's he's so wily on how he sneaks in and just plants little seeds and allows your mind to really go off on a tangent. And then you dig your heels in Mm. over something, over a comma, over a semicolon. Right. You dig your heels in over those little things. And you don't realize that the entire story that you're basing all of your digging your heels in is wrong. It's wrong. It's so wrong. So oh. that was, uh, yeah, that's kind of my. <laughs> I wonder if churches today are prepared for a congregation living authentically real. What if all the hypocrisy was suddenly gone and tomorrow when everybody goes to church? Mm-hmm. They go to church as they are. Thank God I'm here. I'm home. That I bring everything from my life along with me. And I just, I'm handing that all to you. And I will profess the wonders and the amazingness of you in covering all of that. Do you think churches would be ready for that? Oh, man, they're uh, you know, after the first Sunday, there would be a whole lot more people there because they would want to feel welcome. But right. um, it would be hard, I think, for people to mm-hmm. get over the hypocrisy, the judgy thing. And right. you don't know, want people to know. I don't want people to know about this piece of my life because they'll judge me. They'll yeah. do this. And you know what? I know some pretty awful things that people have done. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say I don't look at them and like, oh, yeah, I'm judging you based on I that, know. you know. I'm judging people more now based on what are you doing today and what are your goals for tomorrow? What is your heart? Yeah. What direction are you pointed? I'd much rather be, if I'm going to judge somebody, I'd much rather judge them on that, Mm -hmm. I guess. And (laughs) at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure God already knows. He does. Anyway, so. Yep. And as we end here in Matthew, there's a couple questions just to think about. So. The questions for this passage are, how can I avoid religious pretense and focus on what truly matters in my faith journey? So think about that religious pretense that we were just talking about, you know, like pretentiousness that can sometimes be around certain aspects Mm -hmm. of of religion. How can we focus on what truly matters in your faith journey? All right. Oh, boy. So now I'm going to be bouncing over to Romans chapter 5, and I'll be picking up in verse 12 and reading to the end of the chapter. So you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma that we're in. First, sin. 
then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss that separates us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to this death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured out through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was that the death sentence, the verdict on the many sins that followed, was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes absolute life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right, that this one man, Jesus Christ, provides? Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all of this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All grace can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Mm. And that, my friends, is the end of Romans chapter 5. That was great, and you're going to be surprised, I think, at the conviction that came out of that oh, to I'm, me. I'm curious. Yeah, because um, when we get to numbers, Mm-hmm. I was going to just say something before we read, because I found some information out, so I wanted to clarify something sure. from before. Yeah. But as you were reading, now read the very first part of what you read. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma that we're in. Stop. My entire life being raised in church, I've been told... Women are in the positions they are because it's a punishment they bear for causing the downfall of humanity. And what does God say right there? Mm. Adam. God didn't say Eve. Yeah. Didn't ever say Eve. God didn't set up the family system like he did because of a punishment to the woman 
for causing sin. Mm. Adam did that. Yeah. God called Adam on the table for that. And it struck me. I had never stopped to think about it. I had always been raised to believe we are inferior, lesser, and have no voice because we are the cause of everything wicked. It's all on us. That's the punishment to the women. That's why we have to suffer and be second-class citizens. And that was a lie. Right. That was a lie. And I need to, I'm convicted because as I'm going to talk about before we start numbers, I do an awful lot of judging when I see like, that is so unfair that this one, the women pointed Mm -hmm. out here. Sure. And we have context and Mm -hmm. time and stuff to take into consideration. But Adam, Eve ate, but Adam was responsible for his house. There is a pause here that says, focus on Christ. And this is about the last few verses of uh, this chapter here. So it says, through Adam, death-dealing sin, through Christ, a life-giving gift. Through Adam, a death sentence. Through Christ, a life sentence. Through Adam, death. Through Christ, absolute life. Mm -hmm. Adam got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and Christ got us out of it. Adam put so many people in the wrong. Christ put many people in the right. Paul seems to be saying, if you think things in the world are bad because of Adam, just take a look at what has gone right in the world because of Christ. The evidence is all around you of the devastation that results from Adam. But now open your eyes and see how much more righteousness results from Christ. Christ is much more important than Adam, much more powerful than Adam, and much more influential than Adam. Hmm. So whether you're a pessimist or an optimist depends not on what you focus on, but on whom you focus. If you focus on Adam, you'll become pessimistic about the world. If you focus on Christ, you'll become optimistic about it. The same is true of the world inside of you. Adam is there in that inner world, but so is Christ. Mm. I love that, how that just kind of puts that into perspective. And um, just to let you know that, yes, things went wrong because of one man, but man, let's focus on the man who died for us. Set us free, right? That's how we're able to live set free. <laughs> so, friends, that's uh, the end of our uh, reading in Romans. And now it is time to jump in the Wayback Machine, and we are going to start that thing up and head back to Psalm. Buckle up. And Heidi is reading a pretty short psalm, but it is impactful. It's good. It is good. I am reading Psalm 54. God, for your sake, help me. Use your influence to clear me. Listen, God, I'm desperate. Don't be too busy to hear me. Outlaws are out to get me, but men are trying to kill me. Nothing will stop them. God means nothing to them. Oh, look, God's right here helping. God's on my side. Evil is looping back on my enemies. Don't let up. Finish them off. I'm ready now to worship. So ready. I thank you, God. You're so good. You got me out of every scrape, and I saw my enemies get it. I love how it's a plea for help, Mm -hmm. but there is also 
he weaves in there those threads of gratitude. Yes. The questions that I have for this one on Psalm chapter 54 is, when have you felt the need to cry out to God for help, like in Psalm chapter 54? Have you ever been in a place where you're just like at the end of your rope and you're really feeling like, man, the only person that's going to understand me or even listen to me right now is God. And then the other one is, how does this heartfelt psalm remind you of the importance of turning to God in those times of trouble? Mm -hmm. I love how in the middle of this, very short, just seven verses, but right smack in the middle, it's like, oh, look. It's like in the middle of it, all of a sudden, he's like, I'm not alone here. God's right here. He's right here. And I love how it's right there in the middle of it and the whole tone changed and I am ready to worship. And I'm going to acknowledge you've always gotten me out of every scrape. Always. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop trusting you now. It's good stuff. Good stuff. All right, friends, we are going to head back now all the way to numbers. We're going to be reading 15, 16, 17. It's a lot of reading. Brew your coffee. Man, brew the coffee, buckle up on the camel, whatever it is you do to get comfortable. And listen to us butcher a few Old Testament names as we (laughs) rock and roll through numbers. (laughs) Heidi's going to be picking up in numbers 16. I'll be reading 15 and 17. We are so happy to have you along on this ride today. Mm -hmm. So thanks for choosing uh, to be here with us. If you have been blessed by any part of this, if there's a verse that stood out to you or something in the reading that really just bricked your heart just a little bit, drop it down in the comments. I would love to hear like what verses are meaning something to you. I mean, these are all, I wish we could spend a lot more time on some Mm -hmm. of these chapters and these verses, but uh, this is really meant as a welcome to the Bible. And let's just chat about uh, what's inside of it here. So, yes. Did I ever clarify, remember my little upsetness over Miriam? I don't know if you did or not. So feel free to. So when I say I'm going to research something, I do, I want you to know anyone who's listening that I do actually research it when I'm finished. And I, I researched Miriam when she was struck with leprosy and put outside the camp. Mm. Yet Aaron was not, they were both been guilty of the same thing. They spoke against Moses. I remember Um, that didn't sit very well. No, it did not. It felt very unfair, but I'm going to say on the surface, it does, which is why it's important to understand the context and what was said. Her name being listed first did carry weight and there was a reason for it. And it was easily explained once I researched and studied it. Miriam, as a woman, was gifted by God as a leader. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen for women often, if at all. And Miriam was in a position of authority. In that position, she swayed her younger brother, who was the high priest, to follow her in her sin of speaking against Moses without Mm. going to him. Sure. That is why she was struck. She knew what she had been given by God. She was in a position 
of authority. And that comes with expectations. And she failed miserably. Not only did she fail herself, she caused the high priest of Israel to sin. Mm -hmm. The high priest, who is the only one who can give absolution for sin. That's why he wasn't struck with leprosy. If he had been struck with leprosy, he no longer could be high priest and function in that position, and there would be no absolution Hmm. of sin. So while on the surface, it appeared to be very unfair, Miriam totally was not saying that as she sat outside the camp and probably thanked God for not striking her dead Hmm. because she knew she deserved it. So real quick before we head into numbers. Mm -hmm. As a woman yes. who is now an ordained shepherd, <laughs> yes. who is called yes. to leadership and mm-hmm. is called to do things for God, yes. right? How does reading now that passage and taking it into context, right. how does that affect, I guess, how you move forward in your ministry? It struck me in place the responsibility that I have, it made me realize I cannot avoid the fact that my willingly saying yes to that calling and going through with it and being ordained now, that means I can't walk away from that responsibility. I can't live like that responsibility isn't real. How I live my life matters. And like Like Miriam, I recently had a situation where I spoke harshly towards somebody and did not handle myself appropriately Mm. and properly. In my position, I have no excuse. Nobody does, but I put myself in that position. And that comes with a responsibility that I'm really starting to find every day. Mm. Colors my day-to-day life and i'm really making the attempt to do better at having my life be a witness of Mm. what i've been called to i appreciate you i love you (laughs) (laughs) all right friends now we're going to end here with uh numbers and i'll be picking up in chapter 15 and we'll end from there so thanks again for joining along so numbers 15 god spoke to moses speak to the people of israel tell them When you enter your homeland that I am giving to you and sacrifice a fire gift to God, a whole burnt offering, or any sacrifice from the herd or flock for a vow offering or free will offering at one of the appointed feasts, as a pleasing fragrance for God, the one bringing the offering shall present to God a grain offering of two quarts of fine flour mixed with a quart of oil. With each lamb for the whole burnt offering or other sacrifice, prepare a quart of oil and a quart of wine as a drink offering. For a ram, prepare a grain offering of four quarts of fine flour mixed with one and a quarter quarts of oil and one and a quarter quarts of wine as a drink offering. Present it as a pleasing fragrance to God. When you prepare a young bull as a whole burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a peace offering to God, bring with the bull a grain offering of six quarts of fine flour and two quarts of oil. So bring two quarts of wine as a drink offering. It will be a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. 
Each bull or ram, each lamb or young goat, is to be prepared in this same way. Carry out this procedure for each one, no matter how many you have to prepare. Every native-born Israelite is to follow this procedure when he brings a fire gift as a pleasing fragrance to God. In future generations, when a foreigner or visitor living at length among you presents a fire gift as a pleasing fragrance to God, the same procedures must be followed. The community has the same rules for you and the foreigner living among you. This is the regular rule for future generations. You and the foreigner are the same before God. I'm going to repeat that Yay. right there. You and the foreigner are the same before God. Mm. The same laws and regulations apply to both you and the foreigner who lives with you. God spoke to Moses. Speak to the people of Israel. Tell them. When you enter the land into which I'm bringing you and you eat the food of that country, set some aside as an offering for God. From the first batch of bread dough, make a round loaf for an offering, an offering from the threshing floor. Down through the future generations, make this offering to God from each first batch of dough. But if you should get off the beaten track and not keep the commands which God spoke to Moses, any of the things that God commanded you under the authority of Moses from the time that God commanded you right up until this present time, and if it happened more or less by mistake, with the congregation unaware of it, then the whole congregation is to sacrifice one young bull as a whole burnt offering, a pleasing fragrance to God accompanied by its grain offering and drink offering as stipulated in the rules, and a he-goat as an absolution offering. The priest is to atone for the entire community of the people of Israel, and they will stand forgiven. The sin was not deliberate, and they offered to God the fire gift and absolution offering for their inadvertence. The whole community of Israel, including the foreigners living there, will be absolved because everyone was involved in the error. But if it's just one person who sins by mistake, not realizing what he's doing, he is to bring a yearling she-goat as an absolution offering. The priest then is to atone for the person who accidentally sinned, to make atonement before God so that it won't be held against him. The same standard holds for everyone who sins by mistake. The native-born Israelites and the foreigners go by the same rules. But the person, native or foreigner, who sins defiantly, deliberately blaspheming God, must be cut off from his people. He has despised God's word. He has violated God's command. That person must be kicked out of the community, ostracized, and left alone in his wrongdoing. Once, during those wilderness years of the people of Israel, a man was caught gathering wood on the Sabbath. The ones who caught him hauled him before Moses and Aaron and the entire congregation. They put him in custody until it became clear what to do with him. Then God spoke to Moses, Give the man the death penalty. Yes, kill him. The whole community hurling stones at him outside of the camp. So the whole community took him outside of the camp and threw stones at him, an execution commanded by God and given through Moses. God spoke to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel. 
Tell them that from now on they are to make tassels on the corners of their garments and to mark each corner tassel with a blue thread. When you look at these tassels, you'll remember and keep all the commandments of God and not get distracted by everything that you feel or see that seduces you into infidelities. The tassels will signal remembrance and observance of all of my commandments to live a holy life to God. I am your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt to be your personal God. Yes, I am God, your God. And that's the end of chapter 15. That's a that's pretty brutal, man. I mean, it is. you're collecting some wood on Sunday and then all of a sudden getting stoned. And not right. and not like marijuana stoned. No. I mean, no, you're, no. you're like rocks thrown at you. Yeah, stoned. stoned dead. Man. I know. It had it, to hurt. I can imagine it's pretty horrible. And it had to be horrible to watch. It's an up. Right. As and a, I can't. This isn't something that I would imagine most people took any joy in whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's brutal, it's awful, and it's not fast quite often is the other thing. It right. is a painful and slow misery. It's like a death a by a thousand death. cuts. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things we look at and it's like how barbaric and people see it. And it's like this whole Christian thing that's just how awful Jesus hasn't been on the cross yet for sure and sin had to be atoned for in different ways the reason for this is god was stressing the importance of keeping sin out of your community this may seem like a small thing but what does that become you know and it was like even like the unleavened bread and the yeast mm. and how the entire house has to like one little speck of yeast can affect an entire batch yeah. of dough yeah and as a baker i realized that and this is another, just like clearing your house of yeast, it's the same thing. Something so small in our view, like collecting mm -hmm. wood, but God commanded that they are not to do any work on the Sabbath. This was a blatant, in the face of God, sin. And it was dealt with harshly. And the tassels that followed... I'm sure every single person never lost that feeling of what it's like to have to pick up those stones and kill their brother. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm so glad Jesus <laughs> covered our sins. I'm like, I don't want to pick up a stone because I know I'm deserving of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the oh. thing. All right. Here okay. we go. Numbers 16. All right. Good oh. luck. Start. I love how Eugene Peterson writes. Getting on his high horse one day. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, along with a few Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and An, son of Peleth, rebelled against Moses. He had with him 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel, prominent men with positions in the council. They came as a group and confronted Moses and Aaron, saying, You've overstepped yourself. This entire Community is holy and God is in their midst. So why do you act like you're running the whole show? On hearing this, Moses threw himself face down on the ground. Then he addressed Korah and his gang. In the morning, God will make clear who is on his side, who is holy. God will take his stand with the one he chooses. Now, Korah, here's what I want you and your gang to do. 
Tomorrow, take censers. In the presence of Gad, put fire in them and then incense. Then we'll see who is holy. See whom God chooses. Sons of Levi, you've overstepped yourselves. Moses continued with Korah. Listen well now, sons of Levi. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has selected you out of the congregation of Israel to bring you near him to serve in the ministries of the dwelling of God and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? He has brought you and all your brother Levites into his inner circle, and now you're grasping for the priesthood too? It's God you've ganged up against, not us. What do you have against Aaron that you're bad-mouthing him? Moses then ordered Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, to appear, but they said, We're not coming. Isn't it enough that you yanked us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you keep trying to boss us around. Face it, you haven't produced. You haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us the promised inheritance of field and vineyards. You'd have to poke our eyes out to keep us from seeing what's going on. Forget it. We're not coming. Moses' temper blazed white hot. He said to God, Don't accept their grain offerings. I haven't taken so much as a single donkey from them. I haven't hurt a single hair of their heads. Moses said to Korah, Bring your people before God tomorrow. Appear there with them and Aaron. Have each man bring his censer filled with incense and present it to God, all 250 censers. And you and Aaron do the same. Bring your censers. So they all did it. They brought their censers filled with fire and incense and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron did the same. It was Korah and his gang against Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The entire community could see the glory of God. God said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this congregation so that I can finish them off and be done with them. They threw themselves on their faces and said, Oh God, God of everything living, when one man sins, are you going to take it out on the whole community? God spoke to Moses, Speak to the community, tell them, back off from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram. The leaders of Israel followed him. He then spoke to the community. Back off from the tents of these bad men. Don't touch a thing that belongs to them, lest you be carried off on the flood of their sins. I'd be a little nervous if I was Korah, Dathan, and Abiram right now. Maybe. So they all backed away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram by now had come out and were standing at the entrance to their tents with their wives, children, and babies. Moses continued to address the community. This is how you'll know that it was God who sent me to do all these things and that it wasn't anything I cooked up on my own. If these men die a natural death like all the rest of us, you'll know that it wasn't God who sent me. But if God does something unprecedented, 
If the ground opens up and swallows the lot of them and they are pitched alive into Sheol, then you'll know that these men have been insolent with God. The words were hardly out of his mouth when the earth split open. Earth opened its mouth and in one gulp swallowed them down. The men and their families, all the human beings connected with Korah, along with everything they owned. And that was the end of them, pitched alive into Sheol. The earth closed up over them, and that was the last the community heard of them. At the sound of their cries, everyone around ran for dear life, shouting, We're about to be swallowed up alive. Then God sent lightning. The fire cremated the 250 men who were offering the incense. God spoke to Moses, Tell Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, Gather up the censers from the smoldering cinders and scatter the coals a distance away, for these censers have become holy. Take the censers of the men who have sinned and are now dead and hammer them into thin sheets for covering the altar. They have been offered to God and are holy to God. Let them serve as a sign to Israel evidence of what happened this day. So Eliezer gathered all the bronze censers that belonged to those who had been burned up and had them hammered flat and used to overlay the altar just as God had instructed him by Moses. This was to serve as a sign to Israel that only descendants of Aaron were allowed to burn incense before God. Anyone else trying it would end up like Korah and his gang. Grumbling broke out the next day in the community of Israel, grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You have killed God's people. But it so happened that when the community got together against Moses and Aaron, they looked over at the tent of meeting and there was the cloud, the glory of God for all to see. Moses and Aaron stood at the front of the tent of meeting. God spoke to Moses back away from this congregation so that I can do away with them this very minute. They threw themselves face down on the ground. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and fill it with incense along with fire from the altar. Get to the congregation as fast as you can. Make atonement for them. Anger is pouring out from God. The plague has started. Aaron grabbed the censer as directed by Moses and ran into the midst of the congregation. The plague had already begun. He put burning incense into the censer and atoned for the people. He stood there between the living and the dead and stopped the plague. 14,700 people died from the plague, not counting those who died in the affair of Korah. Aaron then went back to join Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The plague was stopped. Mm. Wow. Wowzer. I. Yeah. It, I mean, it really, it really highlights obedience and mm -hmm. um, that whole. I'm going, you know, I'm going to talk bad about leaders and, yeah. you know, it's pride, you know, I, I, know. I want recognition. Who are you? You know, that whole air yeah. of dissension that was in that 
that camp, I, you know, and God is right. like, I am done with it. I know. They had just watched what yeah. happened I know. to Dathan and Ephiram. Yeah. Their entire families, children, baby, hens, animals, all of it swallowed up. They could hear them screaming as they're falling in. And then the earth buried alive yeah. down there. Yep. They watched that happen. They had to stone somebody for gathering wood. And they're immediately the next day grumbling and complaining. And God's like, I'm done with y'all. So, done. <laughs> so how often, and I know that mm -hmm. our disobedience and our yes. sin doesn't look exactly like that. But how many times do mm -hmm. we sin? And then, you know, we see someone else maybe get reprimanded. We see someone else, you know, where they're going through what may be judgment from God. Yes. And then we just, the next day, we go do something that right. may not be exactly at, the same. At it. But, yeah, we're right back at it. Thank God for Jesus and the work on the cross is all I got to say. <laughs> it's, all of this yeah. is the just cost of sin mm. it was deserved yep it didn't stop being the cost of sin at any point and even now and it's not lost on me and in fact i'm starting to more and more wrap my mind around what jesus suffered mm. on the cross he suffered stoning he suffered the ground opening up and being swallowed alive. He suffered being burned alive. He suffered, I mean, all of it. Yeah. The price of all of it. Yeah. And this was just a tiny moment in time. And my mind, this little tiny human brain I have cannot fathom what our God went through in that human body on a cross. A God that went from being everywhere all at once everywhere no time no space no nothing can find in this weak little human body that feels yeah, yeah. it's oh yeah. thank you jesus all right friends i'm going to be finishing up today in numbers chapter 17 and this is titled aaron's staff so god spoke to moses speak to the people of israel get staffs from them 12 staffs in all one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes Write each man's name on his staff. Start with Aaron. Write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, and then proceed with the rest, a staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Now lay them out in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I keep appointments with you. What will happen next is this. The staff of the man that I choose will sprout. I'm going to put a stop to this endless grumbling by the people of Israel against you. <laughs> Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Their leaders handed over 12 staffs, one for each leader of each tribe. And Aaron's staff was one of them. Moses laid out the staffs before God in the tent of testimony. Moses walked into the tent of testimony the next day and saw that Aaron's staff the staff of the tribe of Levi had in fact sprouted buds, blossoms, and even ripe almonds. Moses brought out all the staffs from God's presence and presented them to the people of Israel. They took a good look. Each leader took the staff with his name on it. God said to Moses, 
return Aaron's staff in the front of the testimony and keep it there as a sign to rebels. This will put a stop to their grumbling against me and save their lives. Moses did just as God commanded him. The people of Israel said to Moses, We are as good as dead. This is our death sentence. Anyone who even gets close to the dwelling of God is as good as dead. Are we all doomed? And to find out if they're doomed, mm. you'll have to tune in next, next time, time on this journey through the message. <laughs> oh, friends, I mean, what a what an interesting ride through the Bible today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is journey through the message. If you're brand new to this, uh, we read through the Bible in the message version. It's conversational. It's light. There's no these or thys or thous or weird words like beseech and... <laughs> I mean, this is just the Bible, a little bit more conversational. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. And I started reading the message version when I was in prison. And it Mm. was something good for me to just get back into the Bible and hear it in a different way. I had grown up with the NIV and some of the other versions. I knew all the verses. I had read them, you know, I'd heard them. with the NIV. I know. I was a KJV girl. And, you know, I looked at the message version and I just said, as soon as I started reading it, I said, you know what? This is like giving me fresh eyes on pieces of the Bible and the way Mm -hmm. that it, some of the verses sounded, it was just fresh and new. So I just hope that this podcast gives you a little bit of that same feeling. Maybe some things that you've heard a million times are just fresh and new. Maybe our takes on things are just a little outside of the box from what you may have grown up with, or maybe you've heard, or maybe you interpreted. Mm -hmm. I have found that listening to other people's interpretations of the Bible is sometimes the best way to grow and then also understand where someone is coming from. Mm -hmm. There's things that... um, For you, Heidi, there's things that maybe you respond in a certain way, and I know that you respond in a certain (laughs) way because of your past and just because of some things that had gone on in your past. Whereas I look at those same verses, and just because of my past experiences, I don't view them the same way, but Mm -hmm. it also gives me a very good kind of hold on to some of the experiences you've gone through and i love that about that and i love hearing from people as we're going through this you know if a verse or something has meant something to you or if you have a different take share it on what we're doing or saying absolutely share it there is uh there is all sorts of room for for people to chime in and and give us their interpretation and their love that kind of conversation Mm -hmm. People who have been Christian for a very long time are knowledgeable about the Bible. Um, I was very knowledgeable about the Bible from the King James Version. Knowledgeable as far as memorizing verses and this and that. I will say that the message has brought it to life for me. It was never this living, practical application to my life thing. It was something to get through before. I'm ashamed to say that. Mm -hmm. But I love this paraphrase of it because of the clear way that it speaks and the conversational aspect to it. 
and it makes me want to get into it more and more to read more and i love using this as a reference for clarity when i use other ones sure i have to give my first sermon i'm not using the message version mm -hmm. to do it but i mm -hmm. sure have referenced it because i think it's very important when we are speaking jesus to people we're not to do it and speak over their heads and i think a lot of time and i know that i have i've come from where i am you can't talk to somebody who's not a christian or is a baby christian in the same way they right. will not understand yep. it needs to be understandable it's why god called his disciples from the groups of people they came from fishermen coarse rough cursing swellers sailors just out throwing dice and drinking on the weekends those were the people he called because they were going to reach people that people way up high and highly educated wouldn't. He didn't put a, an advertisement in the temple, like <laughs> no. for the Pharisees to apply? No, and no, he there didn't was no even Pharisee? say you need to attend eight years of school in oh, order to be a disciple. In order to talk about Jesus, you don't have to go through like a... I know, shocking, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it shocking? There's even a verse that says, I'm pouring my spirit out on everyone, young, old, rich, poor, male, mm. female, learned, unlearned, so you can go tell others about me. That's Amen. called ministry. Yep. Amen. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> now, I did go to school, um, and I certainly would not discourage that. And the reason for that is um, in my chaplaincy to get into some places, being ordained is a tremendous benefit. And, and I have doors. It does. Sure. For sure. So that's why I did it. But I've also now learned and I understand fully that isn't necessary because it's God that's doing the speaking. Yeah. God doesn't need a college professor. Yeah. The questions that I had to end with here today for numbers are what lessons can we draw from the rebellion? and the divine authority in these couple chapters here in, in Numbers. So there's there's some rebellion, but there's also God putting down his, this is my divine authority. So what uh, lessons can we draw from that? And when have I witnessed God's divine authority and guidance in my life? Mm. And, you know, I often look at me going to prison as God's divine authority in my life. He knew what I needed. He knew that I needed that time of separation and, mm -hmm. and pulling away all these other distractions that I had. And he said, I need you to focus on me. Yes. There's going to be some time of growth. And I wasn't perfect while I was in prison. I tried to get things right. The last few years were much better than the first few. So, <laughs> But um, that was, I felt God saving me from myself yes. saving me it was like watching a kid running out to the road and god saying nope not today right. i'm gonna pull you back and putting me on timeout and during that timeout again i have free will there were plenty of people that did their prison time playing cards uh talking about their crimes trying to get better at doing what they did on the street mm -hmm. crime wise there's all sorts of people there that are there mm -hmm. for that but then there were people there that were working on themselves that were, you could tell their, their walk was different. Their talk was different. The way that they engaged with people was different. Right. And those were the people that I said, you know, I need to maybe 
hang out with some of them. I need to go on walks with them. We don't need to glamorize our crimes. We don't need to do this or that. You know, and because pe- people do, they they try to glamorize behind what their bars. life was. And on you're the street still and just, reaching for something to say, yeah. look at yes, me. Yes. And I, a lot of people are like, yeah, look at Look you. at you. Yeah, <laughs> you're in prison. Right. Yeah, things and they worked out really great, didn't they? <laughs> do you know what my takeaway from that is? Mm. It's so representative of a lot of people, though. And I'm talking people not even out, you know, sure. not, not in prison, but yep. outside. Yep. They're in prison, but it's like they don't recognize it. They don't talk about it. They don't look mm. at it. They don't see it. It's not seen as I'm confined in prison away from society. Yeah. But no, I'm still, I'm I'm somebody. I'm look at me. Good. I was just so good. But people on the outside do the same thing. They can be in prison and not even know it. Yeah. I, I was. I was in a prison for decades. Absolute decades. I didn't know that's what it was. Mm-hmm. God put me in my own prison. And uh, he uses some interesting ways sometimes to set you apart and get you down the right path. And he shakes off what has to be removed. It's like uprooting a plant, shaking off the excess dirt and stuff that's got to stay and moving it to its new place to set down roots and grow and thrive and flourish. And be set free. Yes. Oh, I like how you (laughs) slide that that right back in. (laughs) All right, friends, that's the end of our uh, reading here today. Thanks so much for joining along. I know this one was a little longer again, but uh, we hope that you were blessed by the conversation and also the reading. There's a lot of stuff in there and we encourage you, grab your Bible, pick it up. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter which version it is. Write in it. Write in it. Underline. Read it. Notes. Because this is basic instruction. It is. For living, right? This is kind of the guidebook. If you need prayer, don't be shy. Drop it down in the comments. Hit us up on a private message. Remember, down in the comments, there's going to be a link for the Crossroads Run, another shameless plug. Jump down there. There's going to be a discount code for 20% off. You can do that wherever you're at and support our ministry. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I know Heidi appreciates you too. I sure do. (laughs) And so we'll see you next time on this journey through the message. Thanks again for joining.